Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Okay, well good morning everyone. It's, it's a strange feeling to be up here rather than be amongst all of you. Um, and I have to say, I have a greater appreciation for our pastoral staff and their preparation for the Word of God. And I'm sure you will have a greater appreciation for them after the today. Um, so, praise God. God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, for the past several months, we've been focusing on the aspect of reach. Reaching up towards God and worshiping God and daily having our quiet times, and being drawn to God. And then reaching across to one another, administering to one another, and fellowshipping with one another. As well as reaching out. Uh, Pastor Matt spoke the whole series on reaching out. How God has called his people to reach out to the unbelievers. Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a twist in that we're going to be focusing on how God has reached out to you. Now, during last weekend, during the retreat, Pastor Paul spoke on gospel-centered life and gospel-centered living. And at the end of the retreat, he stated that you cannot reach up, reach across, or reach out unless you have experienced God's amazing love for yourself. In other words, you cannot reach anywhere unless you have experienced God reaching out to you. And I think about that. It struck a chord with me because we can get so caught up in doing things for the Lord and so caught up in worshiping God in what I have to do and what I have to do in my daily quiet time, in my prayer. We can get so caught up about how to minister to the people across from us and so caught up with reaching out to the unbelievers. That sometimes in the midst of everything that we're doing, we forget why we're doing it, why God called us to do that. And so some of us might have been burnt out, where we completely go the opposite direction and say, I, I'm just tired. I'm worn out. I just forgot why I was doing it. You know, growing up as an Asian American, a lot of things that I did was based upon that mindset. I always felt like I had to do something. And if I wasn't doing something, then, I was doing some, then there was something wrong with me. Even growing up in the church, I always felt like I had to be at a church activity every single day or do a church-related activity or be with church people. And if I wasn't, there was something wrong with me. Have you ever felt like that? You know, for many of you, for many of us, we were brought up in the church where it was a bunch of lots of do's and don'ts. And at times we kind of forgot the reason why we were doing some of the things that we were doing. And I always felt like, even with my relationship with my father, that I always had to do something. You know, my father, probably like for many of the fathers here, his, his love language was acts of service. And if I wasn't doing something for my father, 
if, if I didn't do what he had asked for me, then I felt like I didn't earn his love and I didn't earn his response. And in many ways, I equated that with my relationship with God. And that if I wasn't doing something, that I wasn't earning God's favor or earning God's love. Have you ever felt like that? So, when Pastor Paul was preaching this entire weekend on a gospel-centered life and a gospel-driven life, it really struck a chord with me. Because I think throughout the entire weekend, he didn't preach applications of, now go ahead and do this and this and this. But he took us back and he said, before you do anything, this is what the Christian life looks like. You know, this morning, um, we're going to continue on with that and go into a study in how God has reached out to us, in particular, and God ha- how God has reached out to Peter. We're going to use Peter as an example. And I love Peter because I can relate to Peter, the Apostle Peter, in so many ways. And yet there are so many things that I can't relate to him. But I feel like here's a man who who walked with God, who for three years spent his entire time eating, breathing, living, sleeping with God. And yet during the entire three years, it almost feels as if he completely missed the mark. Like, you almost want to say, Peter, are you sure you were with the same Jesus that, that's written in scriptures? And yet as we, the more we study about the life of Peter the more we come to understand, you know, I'm really like Peter. I'm really not that different from this Peter. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 21. We'll read verses 1 through 19. John chapter 21, beginning from verse 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No, he said to them. Cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fire laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is had to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now this whole picture is truly amazing to me. Because this takes place shortly right after Christ rose from the dead. And he appeared to the disciples three times. To the very same people who denied him. The very same people that Jesus spent three years of his life devoting to, ministering to, giving, giving himself his life to. He had the very same people, his brothers, his friends, his compatriots, completely fell apart on him. When push came to shove, they rejected him. And yet here's this Jesus approaching them right after he comes back from the dead. He could have easily snapped his finger and said, Okay, God, you know what they did to me? Go ahead and get rid of them. I don't need them. But it's not like that. That's the amazing thing about it. Is that in our humanness, if we've been wronged, if someone has wronged us, that would be our immediate reaction, was how can I get back at this person? What can I do? What, in my devious little mind, what can I do to get back? You know, the more we learn about Peter, the more we will see how much we are like him in this way. In that, this passage... You know, we read about Peter in that it was Christ who reached out to Peter. And this Peter is the one who denied him not just once, but three times. Even to the point of cursing, saying, I don't know this person. I don't know who you're talking about. So let's go into and study a little bit about this Peter. We know that he is famous for his denial. But what other parts of Peter are there? He was, he was born to a fisherman. And as he grew up in a fisherman's family, 
that's who he became eventually as well. We know that he was married because he was there when Christ healed his mother-in-law. He was also one of the top three disciples. He was there with Jesus when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. He was also there when Jesus, during the whole transfiguration. So he was able to witness things about Jesus and have seen Jesus do miraculous things that some of the other disciples weren't able to see or even do. And he spent three years studying Jesus, living with Jesus again. You know, that's like many of us. And that many of us have, probably have been born into a Christian home. Some of us may have been Christians for a very long time. Some of us are leaders in the church. And some of us may have experienced God do some amazing things. And have witnessed God do amazing things. And have experienced God doing healing people. Some of us have gone out to missions trips and have seen God just do amazing things. So we're very much like Peter in that sense, that we've walked with Christ. But there are other parts of Peter, for example, like the denial of Christ, and there are other aspects of Peter that are not so pretty, that are not so godly in a way. He was kind of an impetuous man, very zealous. Shortly after Jesus fed the 5,000, they went away and hopped into a boat and wanted to go to the other side of the land. During the middle of the night, while they were in the boat, he saw this figure coming towards the boat. As they saw this figure coming towards the boat, they didn't know who it was. They thought it was a ghost. But eventually, they realized it was Jesus. And as Jesus was approaching, here is Peter, this very strong, very, almost kind of like an arrogant man, very impetuous again, calls out to this ghost, calls out to Jesus, and pretty much says, Jesus, if it's you, call out to me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. So Jesus says, Sure, Peter, come on out. So what does Peter do? He steps out on the water. And he realizes, Man, this is cool. I'm actually walking and stepping on the water. But then what has happened? What, what happens shortly after that? He realizes the waves are coming in. And all of a sudden, things are not looking so good. So he crawls back and he thinks, oh my goodness, I'm going to sink. I'm going to sink. So he starts sinking. When Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who is standing on the water, who he, he himself was literally standing on the water, Jesus could have reached out and, said, and saved him. And yet he forgot where he was. He forgot who he was. He forgot who was standing right in front of him. And he started sinking. You know, it's like that for us as well. Is that sometimes we get ourselves into trouble. Sometimes we get ourselves into situations. And we say, God, I'm going to do this for you. Because, because I'm going to, God. I'm going to do this for you. And when we, when we get into the situation, 
when things get a little rough, then we start questioning God. Like, God, where are you? Where are you, God? I was doing this for you. I thought you wanted me to do this. And yet things are getting a little rough. And I'm starting to sink, God. Where are you? I've, played, I've been in that situation many times where I would get myself into a situation thinking it was God leading me there. And when things got rough, things got tough, I started blaming God and accusing God and asking God, God, where are you? Forgetting who God is. Another situation is that Peter is kind of slow. You know, he's, he, he wasn't an educated man. He, he didn't go to the university like Paul did. Paul knew multiple languages. Paul um, was very eloquent in his speech. But Peter was not. God would have, Jesus would have to explain to Peter multiple times. In one instance, in Matthew 15, it says, But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? You know, here, Peter was with Christ for three years, probably explaining the same stories and parables over and over again. And yet Peter was kind of slow. And aren't we like that sometimes? Where we are, I don't know about you, but um, the men, we're kind of slow at times. You know, I'm slow. My wife would probably tell you that she tells me the same thing and I forget. I'm, I'm a little slow at understanding. See, even when God tells me to do something, I forget. And I'm a little slow. And I need to have God explain things to me time and time again. You know, he was also quick with his temper. When they were out at the Mount of Gethsemane and they saw the high priest soldiers coming towards, it was Peter that took out his sword and struck and cut off the ear. You know, aren't we sometimes like that where sometimes we let our rage get the best of us rather than taking a step back and being calm? Some men, you know, probably like most men, we're probably very just quick to react, quick to temper. You know, there's also an incident where Peter forgot what Jesus has been telling him for the past three years. Where, G, where Peter rebukes Jesus and tells him, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You dying on the cross and in rising from the dead, that's not the real story here. The real story is, Jesus, is you're going to come and you're going to save us from the Jewish people. You're going to come riding on a white horse and you're going to save this day. Because that's the perspective that, Jesus, that Peter had about Jesus. Was that Peter was that Jesus was going to be this mighty ruler. But Jesus takes a step back and rebukes and even calls Peter, Satan, behind me. Because you have no idea what I'm about to do here. But the most notable aspect about Peter was his denial of Christ. Three times. Have you all seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? I'm sure most, if not all of you have. You know, watching that movie was very difficult for me. And I think one of the most difficult scenes was watching when Christ was arrested and seeing 
the relationship between Christ and Peter. And those, those particular scenes where Peter was denying Christ struck a huge blow to me. Because there were a couple of scenes where you saw Christ and Peter looking at each other. And Christ almost saying, Peter, where are you? Peter, why are you denying me? Peter, don't you see what I'm going through? And yet Peter was denying Christ. Not just once, but three times. And you saw God's heart, Jesus' heart, just breaking. And yet you also saw Peter just in agony, a fear for his own life. You know, in all of those instances, I know I can relate to Peter in multiple ways. I'm very impetuous at times. I'm very quick to temper. I'm very slow in understanding. And I have denied Christ many times. And I have been ashamed of Christ many times. When people ask about, talk about religion or talk about what we do on Sundays. Are we quick to respond and say, you know, I have this amazing relationship with Christ and I have been forgiven much. Or are we quick to just kind of say, oh yeah, I, 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 I go to church on Sundays. Or, oh yeah, yeah, I'm busy this weekend. Even though you have a retreat, oh, I'm busy this weekend. And not going into any details and sharing with people about this amazing love that you've received through Jesus Christ. That, as we unfold the life of Peter, this passage that we just read is even all the more amazing to me to see how Christ would react the way he would. Even in the midst of all that has gone on in the past three years, especially with his relationship with Peter, especially with the connection that he had with Peter. And for Christ to be able to approach Peter and the rest of the disciples in a manner that completely just throws you for a loop, that's the amazing God that we serve. Doesn't it just completely boggle your mind? You know, reading this passage, we see Christ reaching out to Peter. Broken out into three different ways. How God had reached out to Peter. How God reaches out to us. The first is relationally. In this passage, as well as passages prior to this, we see how God, how Christ revealed himself to disciples and to the others. And particularly to the disciples, he revealed himself. And every time, he says, peace be with you. You know, it's amazing how Christ, without any anger, after he comes back from the dead, very, very people, again, to the people who have denied him, who have rejected him, who, who forgot who Jesus was. 
Rather than getting angry with them, rather than rebuking them, he's gentle with them. And that's the same tone that they had. Because they, in, in John uh, chapter 20, say that the doors were locked. As the doors were locked, they were in fear that the Jews were going to kill them and go after them for their relationship with Jesus. So as they were in fear, they were also not in fear of what was going to happen to them, but also they were in fear because if this Jesus does come back, he's going to come back with this mighty wrath and fury upon them. So can you imagine if you were the disciples, huddled up in this little room, in this fear that God is going to come back and strike them dead? Yeah, when God comes through, even through locked doors, He reaches out to them and says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now that reminds me, and that tells me, that Christ will do whatever it takes to reach out to you. He will do whatever it takes, even through closed doors locked doors, that Christ will reach out to you, minister to you. you know, some of us might be going through some difficult times in our lives. As Pastor Dave mentioned earlier, some of us might be engulfed in some sin where we have a hard time approaching God because of things that we have dealt with. And yet Christ is saying, I'm not going to throw my wrath on you. But I'm here to give you peace. God is reaching out to us. God is reaching out to you. Second aspect is physically. You know, after Christ ministered to them and reached out to them, wanted to have a relationship with them and connecting with them, here we see Christ at the shore, telling them where to fish, as well as he prepares a breakfast for them. You know, after a long night of fishing, Peter wanted to go out and fish. So the other disciples followed him. You know, and after a long night of just failed fishing, they were about ready to call it quits. And as they were coming home, here's Christ off in the distance on the shore asking them, have you caught any fish? They said no. And he tells them exactly where to fish. You know, that's amazing to me that here God reaches out to them again. Even in, even in their failed attempts, God says, here, try it this way. Try it my way. You know, many times we try to do things on our own. Many times we try to implement things and, and, and say, God, I'm going to do this for you. So I want you to just be with me because I'm going to do this for you. And as we go and do things, sometimes it fails. When God says, here, let me show you where to do it. I will take you by the hand and I will go ahead and lead you 
and I will go ahead and support you. And what's striking about this passage is, is as they listened to him and threw their nets over to where he wanted them to, the net became full of fish, 153 of them. Isn't that amazing how they knew exactly how many fish was in there? That someone actually had to count the number of fish that was in the net. And what's amazing is it was so full, even beyond full, that the net didn't even break at all. You know, that's God's amazing provision is when he says to go and do this, he not only just leaves it to us to do it, but he also provides a way for us to do that. That here, God says, throw the net. I will provide it for you. And another thing, I'm going to make sure that you have what it takes to complete the task. The net did not break when he did that. Another provision was that God provided a meal for them. In verse 12 it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Here God is at the shore as his people are fishing away. And he's preparing a breakfast for them. And that breakfast is a lot of things. Here, God anticipated that they were going to be hungry after fishing all night long. And rather than having them fend for themselves, God prepared this little breakfast for them. He said, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. You know, and um, you know, a lot of times, one of the things that Pastor Paul mentioned, and kind of a good example was about his son Caleb. And how after having uh, the meal, being full with the meal, in the middle of the night, it would be crazy for his son Caleb to go down into the kitchen, to open up the refrigerator, to, to stack up the food, and to store the food for the next day. Thinking that the parents aren't going to provide him for the next day. How silly would that be? How silly would it be for my children as they grow up, thinking, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from? For Maddie, when she's old enough to understand, to go into the kitchen, to go start working herself at the age of six, to say, I have to make my ways, I have to earn a living, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat the next day. You know, it would be silly. Absolutely silly for my daughter to think that way. But she doesn't worry about that because, not only that, because she's only two, but because she has a daddy who will provide for her. In Matthew 6.26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you more value than they? It reminds me of that God is our Jehovah Jireh, our provider, who will provide for us. And this particular um, incident is also a reminder for the disciples in the breaking of bread and reminding them of the Last Supper. Because what happened prior to Christ's arrest, they spent the last meal together where they broke the bread. And Christ prepared the meal for them. And here, he's reminding them Again, 
you thought the relationship was going to be severed after I died. He's saying you thought that it was up to you to maintain this relationship. It was up to you to keep this relationship. But he's reminding them, I am the one who establishes the relationship with you. And I will continue to maintain that relationship with you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Of how God is now reminding them again of the once broken relationship is now brought together. He has prepared the meal for them. And he has reconciled himself with them. That's the amazing God that we serve. And lastly, after he feeds them, he ministers to them spiritually. In particular, he ministers to Peter, who was, again, the one who did the heinous sin of denying Christ three times. And in this passage, he reaches out to Peter and says, Peter, I'm here. I'm here. Christ knew that Peter was going to sin. Christ knew that Peter was going to deny him. In Luke 22, 31 and 32, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that you might sift you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not feel, fail. And when you have it turned again, strengthen your brothers. It wasn't a surprise to God that Peter was going to fail him. It wasn't a complete blindsidedness at all. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail him. And not only that, but here, Scripture tells us that Jesus actually prayed for Peter. And a lot of times we feel like we're on our own. A lot of times we feel like, you know, God doesn't care about me. God's not here with me. But here, is an amazing testimony to Christ and how He is praying for us on our behalf. He is pleading to God the Father. Even through the sins, He's saying, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, forgive them. And He's praying for us. Isn't that amazing? You know, in this passage, is also... Just an amazing, um, I use the word amazing a lot, so you'll have to bear with me. But in this passage of Christ reinstating Peter, let's read uh, some of the verses again. Verses 15 through 17. John chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, here, Christ kind of reminds him, you denied me three times, and I'm asking you three times. But what's, it, what's interesting here is if we go and read this, the word love and translate it into the original Greek, there's two versions of the word love that's used in this context here. And that's the word agapeo, agape love, and phileo. Agape is an intentional, willful love, an unconditional love, the kind of love that God has for us. The phileo love is a love that is emotional love, that's a kind of a temporary love, kind of I'm fond of you, a, a love that a friend for, will have for another friend. So let's read that passage again with the original Greek. Just translating the word love, not the entire Greek, because I can't read Greek. Okay? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Did you catch that? The first two times Christ asked him, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me with the depths of your soul? Do you love me beyond anything in this world? That regardless of what happens, that you will stand by me. And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Because Peter couldn't get the nerve to say, Lord, I agape you because I already failed you three times. I don't know if I can trust myself to say, Lord, I agape you because I already failed. What's amazing is that the third time Christ asks, Peter, do you love me? It's, he understands Peter. He understands and says, Peter, I understand you. I know that you failed me. So Peter, do you phileo me? Isn't that an amazing God? You know, sometimes we have this view, view of God that he is so far up here that I can never measure up to what God is expecting me to do. I can never live up to his expectations. I can never do this. And yet Christ is reaching out to us and meeting us where we are. Even beginning from birth. Humbling coming. The God of the universe coming to us as a baby because he wants to reach out to us. You know, rather than scolding Peter, rather than rebuking Peter, rather than saying, Peter, how could you not understand this? Peter, 
after spending three years with me, after what you've seen me go through, after what I've done for you, how could you still lack the understanding? Christ, in his gentle ways, says, Peter, I know you. You are my child. I love you. Last thing is that of that passage is how Christ goes back to Peter and ministered to him again. The last words was, Peter, follow me. When did Peter hear that? When Christ first approached Peter. Christ said, Peter, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here, Christ calls to Peter again. He says, Peter, let's forget all that has happened. Follow me. You are my son. You are my child. You are my disciple. Come and follow me. What do we know about Peter? God used Peter and changed his name to the rock. To the rock. As we studied a little bit about Peter, we know that he is not the rock by any stretch of the imagination. He was wavering in his doubt, in his faith. He completely failed before God, and yet God called him the rock. And it isn't amazing how God used Peter to build a church? This man who is broken, this man who is a sinner, this man who has wronged God in every way, and yet God in his infinite love and infinite grace says, I will use you to help build the church. That's an amazing God, isn't it? Amen? You know, in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, one of my favorite verses, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are now God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's a man who states this passage. Here's a man who wrote these very words. How could a man who have gone through living the life that he did, denying Christ, rejecting Christ, rebuking Christ, come to a state where he says, now you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's an amazing concept to me. The amazing turnaround between a man who lived this, Christ, who lived this life in relationship to God on his own, and yet finally understanding what it meant to be a Christian. 
That's why I can relate to Peter in many ways. Because I have failed God in many times. I have denied Christ many times. And yet God says, Jonathan Young Lee, I forgive you. I love you. You are my child. You are my son. You are my chosen one. And I will choose to use you, not because of what you have done, not because of whose son you are, not because of your position in the church, but because you are my child. That's amazing to me. You know, the psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I believe that Peter finally understood what it meant to taste and see that the Lord is good. During the three years of his life, I don't think he got it. Because he had this different view about God. Because he wanted to do different things for God. But I believe after the reinstatement, Peter finally realized who he was and who he is in, who he was in Christ. He finally got it. And that's why he was able to say, but you are a chosen race, a whole royal priesthood, a holy nation. My question to you this morning is, do you get it? Do you get what God has done for you? How has God reached out to you? How has Christ ministered to you? Have you tasted and have seen that the Lord is good? Have you experienced this amazing God? Does it bring you to tears when you think about your testimony? Does it bring you to tears and to your knees to say, God, why would you save a sinner like me? And then to say, God, I thank you because you are an amazing God that you would choose to use me. And I'm no longer a sinner, but I'm now a redeemed child of God and I can hold my head up high because of what Christ has done. Have you tasted and seen? So the application of this message for this morning is to go back this week to think about your life, to reevaluate your relationship with God, and to ask yourself, how has God reached out to me? Not, what do I need to do for God? Now, not, now this is what I have to do. But take a step back and say, and ask yourself, who is God in my life? And how has God impacted me. You know, not to make it us-centric, but Christ-centric. Because unless Christ means anything to us, unless Christ, unless we understand what Christ has done for us, anything that we do and everything that we do 
will become futile in the end. Please join me as I pray. I know I've said a lot this morning. Take a moment just to think about your own testimony. And if you don't have a testimony, ask God for a testimony. Ask God to come and help you to experience what true Christianity is all about this relationship with Jesus Christ and ask God to help you to taste and see that the Lord is good that the outflow of our love that the things that we do reaching up reaching across reaching out It's an outflow of the love and the sacrifice that we have received through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for ministering to us and reaching out to us. Thank you, God, that you are the God who initiated that love. Even when we run away from you and have sinned against you. God, your love is amazing. We ask and pray, God, that you would help us to again experience love and sacrifice and to know to be able to say that we have tasted and have seen that you are good. God, we ask and pray that Harvest Community Church would be a church that continues to be drawn into your presence and to be daily to be reminded of the love the sacrifice and the grace that was lavished upon us thank you God in Jesus name Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.